Welcome to the 43rd episode of our news podcast. Today is November 17th. This podcast is going from November 6th to November 16th. And this podcast, along with all of our other podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions LLC. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-monthly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal. If you head over to the journal, you could check out a recent special report that I wrote regarding North Korea and why it's been in the headlines as of late. That article is free to read, so I encourage you all to give it a look. Also, check out the Freelancers, a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you could buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. We will hop into the news. So we're going to start off with some uh, general news in the tech industry. Obviously, the economy is not doing well right now. That's the economy both in the U.S. and really around the world, especially in Europe. After Twitter laid off thousands of its employees worldwide two weeks ago, Facebook parent company Meta announced layoffs for thousands of its employees as well. 11,000 employees will be laid off from a workforce of roughly 87,000 globally. That is about 13% of the company's full staff. In addition, the company directed employees to cancel non-essential travel. This is the first wide-scale layoff in company history. The Wall Street Journal reported that in September, the company is planning to cut costs by 10%. This comes amid tough economic times in the United States and around much of the world, as I just said. It also comes as the tech industry stock sector has been taking pretty big hits this year. Meta stock price alone has fallen over 73% in the past year. Amazon will be laying off 10,000 of its employees in the tech and corporate departments this week. At the end of 2021, the company reported 1.6 million employees across all departments. So in the grand scheme of things, not much of the company's workforce, you know, less than 1%. But uh, the fact that they're laying off people from tech and the corporate departments it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And if the economy keeps moving in this current direction, we may see more layoffs from the tech industry. I know off the top of my head, um, Roku, that company is laying off a ton of people as well. I don't know how many because I haven't been able to look into it, but I did see that headline earlier. Moving on to some Europe news in Poland on the 15th, two missiles landed on a farm in the village of, sorry, my Polish listeners, uh, Prezwadal. That is just seven kilometers from the Ukrainian border, and those missiles killed two people. This came as Russia fired over 100 missiles at targets across Ukraine, of course, leading many to conclude that the two missiles in Poland were fired by the Russians. Uh, These premature conclusions led to many calls for war between NATO and Russia, and Poland almost invoked uh, Article 4 of NATO. Article 4 allows a member state to convene a meeting of the council over a concern relating to national security, independence, or sovereignty. It is sometimes seen as a prelude to invoking Article 5, 
that is the collective defense clause. What most of you think when you think NATO, you know, one uh, one attack on NATO member state is an attack on all. That's Article 5. At this point, though, Polish President Andrzej Duda and U.S. President Joe Biden have both concluded that available evidence regarding yesterday's missile incident shows that they were most likely fired by Ukrainian air defense units and the missiles went astray. With these old Soviet systems, it happens sometimes. I mean, they're old and uh, they're just not the best in the world. So sometimes they just go haywire. You know what happened in uh, Syria? Actually, it happened in Syria a couple times. Uh, one time in 2019, there was a missile, I believe, fired at a Israeli fighter jet and it missed and it just kept going and it flew almost 200 miles and landed in Cyprus, you know, so uh, definitely not the first time this has happened. Photos from the scene show wreckage from missiles fired by the S-300 SAM system. Again, Ukraine uses those a lot. It's an old Soviet system. That incident in Syria that I just talked about, that was an S-300 as well. Reuters correspondent Jeff Mason asked President Biden on the 16th about President Zelensky's claim that missiles were not Ukrainian. Biden responded by saying, quote, that's not the evidence. This also refutes a comment made by Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs, Dmitro Kuleba. He called the claim a, quote, conspiracy theory prior to these statements made by Duda and Biden. So that's worth noting. Also, Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, Alexei Danilov, he claimed that his country has a, quote, Russian trace, presumably of the missile but regardless of where these missiles were fired from, multiple top Western government officials have laid the ultimate blame on Russia. This includes NATO Secretary General Jans Stoltenberg, who said, quote, Russia bears full responsibility as it continues the illegal war against Ukraine. Moving on with our Iran update, anti-regime protests in Iran continued for the ninth week in response to the killing of Masha Amini by Iran's morality police in Tehran. Protests have been recorded in dozens of cities across the country. At least 336 demonstrators and bystanders have been killed by security forces. That's according to Iran Human Rights. 38 security force personnel have been killed as well. This round of protests grew to become the largest in scale since the 1979 Islamic Revolution that brought the current regime to power. Protests have been spearheaded by university students, particularly in the capital city, Tehran. The Iranian government is continuing to blame the protests on the United States and Israel, saying that the two are trying to create an Islamic state branch in Iran. Iran has also been lashing out beyond its borders, striking Kurdish Iranian dissident militias based in Iraq, blaming the protests on them as well. Regime forces have been accused of gunning down protesters en masse, beating people, and committing other horrific crimes such as sexual assault and rape. A claim has been making its way around social media for the past couple days, saying that 1,500 protesters that have been arrested since September 16th have been sentenced to death by the government. That claim is false. It is not true. However, at least five protesters have so far been sentenced to death. That number is expected to grow, but if you see a, if you see someone on social media saying that 1,500 people have been sentenced to death in one round, it is not true. It's completely false, and it is distracting from actual human rights abuses that are going on, and there is plenty that are actually happening.
The government has also been accused of utilizing its proxies to suppress protests. Multiple outlets have stated that members of Lebanese Hezbollah are deploying to Iran and an unverified Twitter account posted a video claiming to show the identification card of a member of the Fatamayun division, excuse me, that is an Iranian proxy made up of Shia Afghans that is sometimes incorrectly called Afghani Hezbollah. Again, at this time, uh, that is just a claim and there's no hard evidence to approve the authenticity. Fuel was added to the fire in the past two weeks when a Kurdish student named Nasrin Ghadri was beaten over the head and killed by police in Tehran. On the 6th, a security force member killed four policemen at a station in Bampur, that is in Sistan, Balochistan province. On the 7th, Iranian security services began blaming Azerbaijan for an ISIS attack that happened last month in Shiraz. Protests took place in 12 cities, and the judiciary chief, Ghulam Hussein, Mosseni Aji called on authorities to expedite the prosecution of arrested protesters. So again, just going back to the five protesters that so far have been sentenced to death, uh, that's only really started happening in the past few days. So that kind of ties into that, I assume. On the 8th, the Critical Threats Project claimed that Iran may have deployed proxy forces from Iraq to quell protests, but no evidence or additional details were given, so keep that in mind. On the 9th, an unidentified person drove a vehicle into a group of Baji militiamen in Galan province, killing one. On the 13th, unidentified militants killed a soldier from the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps' 25th Karbala Operational Division. On the 14th, former President Mohammed Khatami, seen as a reformist by some, called for reform in an Instagram post. He also warned that failure to reform could lead to, quote, social collapse. Also, the IRGC launched more attacks on militias in Iraqi Kurdistan, killing at least two militants. So that's still going on. On the 15th, protests grew in number to at least 36 cities to commemorate the third anniversary of the Bloody Aban protests. Another set of anti-regime protests in which government forces killed as many as 1,500 protesters. And on the 16th, protests took place in 29 cities across the country, and as many as three security force personnel may have been killed throughout the day. Quick update on Syria. On the 8th, an Israeli drone strike hit an Iranian military convoy in eastern Syria, killing at least 10 people, including some Iranians. The convoy was reportedly carrying missiles, small arms, and oil from Iraq into Syria. This sort of thing does happen from time to time so it's really nothing out of the ordinary we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with africa All right, and we're back. We got an update on Ethiopia. The federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front agreed to a cessation of hostilities on November 2nd, which could bring their two-year civil war to an end. However, questions remain. Eritrea, which supported the Ethiopian federal government, was not a party to the negotiations, and it is not yet clear if the country will cease its operations in Tigray. Eritrea has 
an axe to grind with the TPLF dating back to the party's dominance over Ethiopian politics from 1991 to 2018. The two countries fought a war known by some as the Badme War from 1998 to 2000, which ended in an Ethiopian victory. Another party to today's civil war that is in question is the Oromo Liberation Army, the OLA. The TPLF and the OLA led a coalition of rebel groups in opposition to the federal government. However, the OLA was not present for these recent negotiations and has continued fighting against the Ethiopian National Defense Forces. On the 6th, OLA forces attacked the town Nekemte and supposedly captured the district of Lalo Asabi, according to the group's spokesperson. So these claims should be taken with a grain of salt because it's coming directly from their spokesperson. On the 7th, the OLA captured the towns of Inango and Nejo. On the 8th, a drone strike in Bila, Aromia, reportedly left 90 civilians dead. That's a drone strike by the federal government. By the way, the OLA doesn't have drones, at least none that are capable of launching missiles, to my knowledge. On the 9th, another drone strike in Mendi left 20 civilians dead. On the 13th, OLA troops captured the district of Wamahagalo, and on the 14th, a drone strike reportedly killed at least 20 civilians in Kobe. Again, there's this information blackout in Ethiopia. The federal government is really suppressing a lot of these groups from getting information out on social media, so it is pretty difficult to verify these claims, so you should just take all of this with a grain of salt. All that we know for a fact is the OLA and the federal government are still fighting and fighting a lot. That's the only thing we know for a fact at this point. And we're going to finish it off with the United States. Of course, the midterm elections were held this past Tuesday, last Tuesday, I should say. I don't want to uh, turn this into a political show or really give too much of my political opinions, of course, for full disclosure. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I am a registered independent. I don't consider myself a libertarian, but I have voted for the party in the past two presidential elections. So keep that all in mind whenever I speak on U.S. politics. With all that being said, before we get into the numbers and all that of the election, I'll leave you with this. Midterm elections in the U.S. typically do not go well for the party that holds the presidency. In this case, that would be the Democrats. By all means, the Republican Party was expected to take the House of Representatives with a comfortable majority. They're also expected to take the Senate with at least a one-seat majority. This doesn't include the number of gubernatorial elections that they were expected to take from the Democrats. At this point, it's clear that the Republican Party really got absolutely killed in this election. The Democrats will keep control of the Senate with at least 50 seats plus Vice President Harris. She is the deciding vote if any legislation or confirmations come to a 50-50 vote. She's that tiebreaker. They even have a chance to extend the majority due to the Georgia Senate race that will head to a runoff next month. That's between incumbent Raphael Warnock, who's a Democrat, and Republican Herschel Walker. So yesterday afternoon, we actually finally found out that Republicans will take the House next year. As of Thursday morning, the GOP holds 218 seats, the bare minimum needed for a majority. The Democrats hold 211, and six races still have yet to be called. Needless to say, the Republican majority will be incredibly tiny in the House, even if they do take those six races that haven't been called. 
which they will not because some of those are, are in California and very deep blue districts, right? The Republicans lost two governorships. That is in Massachusetts, where Mara Healy, who's a Democrat, will become the next governor. And in Arizona, where Democrat Katie Hobbs beat Carrie Lake, Republican, in the heavily publicized race. Incumbent Governor Greg Abbott, Republican, defeated challenger Beto O'Rourke, Democrat, in Texas by 11 points. Republican incumbent Ron DeSantis in Florida beat Governor, sorry, former Governor Charlie Crist by over 19 points. Tina Kotek, a Democrat, beat Christine Drazen, a Republican in Oregon. And in New York, incumbent Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, beat Lee Zeldin, a Republican, by less than five points. So despite his ultimate loss, Zeldin did actually outperform in deep blue New York and quite possibly won the House for Republicans by topping the ballot for four Republican congressional candidates that all flipped blue seats in the state. So he, he very well could have won the House for the Republican Party. And he did outperform despite himself losing. Just to give you guys an idea of how weird these midterms were, Democrat Tony DeLuca was reelected to the 39th district seat in Pennsylvania's General Assembly. Again, that is the state's assembly, not, uh, not a federal seat. He earned over 85% of the vote, and you may be asking why I'm highlighting this one small race in Pennsylvania, especially since I don't even live there. Well, that is because DeLuca died in October from lymphoma. People voted for a man that is literally not living, as opposed to his Green Party opponent, Zara Livingston. A special election will be held to decide who replaces DeLuca in the future. And if you want to know more about this election, I actually dived a lot into it in this latest issue of Bulletin from the Borderlands. So head over to Lethal Minds if you want to check that out. Again, that is lethalmindsjournal.substack.com. Definitely suggest giving it a read. And continuing on in the United States, on the 8th, former UFC heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez posted his $1 million bail and was released from the Santa Clara County Jail in California while he waits for his trial hearing. Velasquez is accused of attempting to kill Harry Gorlardi on February 28th. Gorlardi is accused of molesting a four-year-old member of Velasquez's family at a daycare owned by his mother. Velasquez was arrested after he chased Gorlotti through Morgan Hill and into San Jose while opening fire on him from outside the window of his pickup truck. Gorlotti's mother suffered non-life-threatening wounds during the incident. However, Gorlotti himself did not. And last thing I got for you guys, of course, on November 15th, former President Donald Trump announced his third run for the presidency in 2024 at his home in Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. Not really going to analyze that or go into a ton of detail. You guys already have opinions. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to wait a little bit. You know, I was kind of hoping we could get a break from all the election stuff going on now that the midterms are over, but uh, 2024 season is already starting. So I will leave you guys with that this week. Of course, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. It means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast. Anywhere you listen to them, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us on Patreon again. 
at patreon.com slash analyze educate or at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate and i'll see you guys around